Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, I'm Evian Whitney, and welcome to The Sexually Liberated Woman. There is a question that I get constantly. I get asked this question the most out of all the questions anyone can ask me, and that question is this, how can I become a sex educator? And the people asking this question, they don't just want to know how to become a sex educator from a general sense. They want to know how they can do what I do specifically, like how to become a sexuality doula, how to lead people out of sexual shame and into their erotic power with these very specific methodologies and frameworks that I use with my clients and students. And I think it's really flattering. I know that people see my work and are inspired by it, and they become attracted to it. Actually, many of the clients I've worked with in the past have decided to enter this field because they were so transformed by the work we did together, and they want to help others in the same way. And I love that because we need more sex educators out there. We need more people doing this important work of not just sexual liberation, but body liberation, gender liberation, liberation that extends to all areas of our lives by way of starting at the sexual. So naturally, when I get asked this question of how do I become a sex educator like you, I'm thrilled because our world will be better served if more of us take up this cause and do this work of unshaming, empowering, reclaiming and decolonizing our sexuality. But here's the thing. I don't think that the people who ask this question are prepared for the answer that I ultimately give them. Because I think what they're looking for from me is a formula that they can follow, a sort of map that I can give them that shows them, okay, this is how I got started. These are the books that I read. These are the people I studied under. And then after I did that studying, these are the values that drive the philosophies and practices that I facilitate within my work. Like, I think that people are hoping that I give them all of that tea. Instead, I give them an answer that I actually spelled out in great detail recently on Twitter. Uh, which no, I am not a Twitter bitch yet. (laughs) I mean, I really only use the platform to make tweets for the sole purpose of posting them on my Instagram. But uh, you can follow me there if you want. Uh, I'm at Evian Whitney, no period. Anyway, okay, since we're already on the subject, I'm just going to read the tweets because they beautifully spell out my answer to that question. Okay, here they are. 
People always ask me, how do I become a sex educator like you? And I always want to answer that question by asking another question. Why exactly do you want to be a sex educator? And what are you actively doing right now to decolonize your own sexuality? A lot of people think that sex education is easy, particularly because of what they observe on the internet, the sensual selfies, the dildo collections, the overuse of certain words like pleasure, sensuality, orgasm, even healing. And they try to replicate it because they want the fun, free, and flashy parts of sex education. But sex education is not always fun or pretty. It is hard, grueling work, not because of what we do for others, but what we're ultimately healing, challenging, changing, decolonizing within ourselves. Real sex education starts with you first and foremost. And I'll be frank, many of y'all aren't doing that deep work. What you're doing is observing bits and pieces of what pioneers within this field have done, people who have been doing this for decades, taking what you deem fun and easy to digest, the things that can quickly be touted as being sex posy, and then replicating it, sometimes straight up stealing it, for your own gain. And it shows. People, your clients, your followers are often intuitive enough to see these bastardizations. They can trace the origins. They can sense that you don't yet have the depth that gets accumulated over years and years and years of inner work to help lead them through their own traumas and reclamations. When you skip the deep work, you do us all a disservice, including yourself. We don't need any more yoni egg peddlers or dildo slingers. We don't need another sex position book or a course on how to have the perfect oral sex mouth choreography. We need people whose sex education and sexual healing involves actively dismantling deeply entrenched systems of oppression that are driving the need for sex education in the first place. And many of y'all don't have that range. And it's understandable to do that work is hard frustrating, tiring, scary. It involves getting super familiar with our trauma, our internalized isms, with the purity, horophobic culture all of our sexual identities have been founded on. To do that work for ourselves is grueling, never mind to lead other people through it. It isn't fun, and it's very uncute. But true sexual liberation goes beyond sensual selfies and the Instagrammable videos of one dancing with dildos. Literally anyone can do that. It's about getting to the root of how white supremacist patriarchal capitalism dislocates us from our power, our pleasure, our bodily autonomy. And it's only in working to excavate that root and tending to our personal healing that lasting sexual liberation can happen. We need sex education because those systems of oppression exist. So the work must always have a foundation in the commitment of uprooting those systems. Otherwise, what is it for? All that I'm talking about here has nothing to do with academia or degrees, with certificates or thick books, though those can help. This is about core values. This is about personal accountability and deep study that can only be found in the very personal journey of our own sexual healing. Anyone can read a book or talk about orgasms, but do they embody the work? Do they put their body where their politics are? Do they walk their talk? And if so, what specific actions are they taking within that walk? I implore budding sex educators to interrogate within themselves why they're feeling led to this field, to really pick apart the reasons why, and to ask themselves how they're going to contribute to dismantling the isms within their sex education work. Also, give props and gratitude to the sex educators you're inspired by and have been out here doing this unglamorous work for decades. They have pioneered these paths with their philosophies and frameworks that you are tripping over yourself to walk on. Never forget that you wouldn't even be contemplating getting into sex education if it weren't for them. And lastly, Don't judge a person's sexual education prowess by their follower count. Some of the best sex educators in the world are the ones you've never heard of. Okay, let that soak in for a little bit. I know all of that was really fiery. And honestly, it's meant to be. 
When I wrote these tweets, it came from a deep frustration of seeing people actively engaging in sex educational work without it being tethered to this real and necessary work of decolonizing themselves and dismantling systems of oppression within their own practices. And that's not to say that sex education has to be drudgery and hard. There's absolutely space for play and pleasure. But to not be rooted in the reason why that play and pleasure matters and why that play and pleasure is being demonized, policed, politicized in the first place, it just, oh, it frustrates me. Anyway, I'm bringing all of this up, not to rant, but because I've got a very special conversation for you today all about being a sex educator, like how to get into this field, the things you need to know, and some of the important things to remember as you not only educate yourself, but also bring healing to your own sexuality so that it can go to serve your sexual practices. And to do all of that, I've brought on my boo and colleague, Cameron Glover, who is a certified sex educator herself that also helps folks build a business within the sexuality profession. So not only is she with it when it comes to sex, she's also the person to call if you're ready to begin working for yourself as a sex educator. So hire her, people. She and I touch on a lot in this conversation, and Honestly, we walked away feeling like a part two is in order to really get into the nuts and bolts of what having a sexuality educational business looks like. Uh, But for now, I think this is a really great place to start for folks who are curious about getting into this profession. And stick around to the end because Cameron has some really, really helpful resources for you to dive into. Okay, I've been talking long enough. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, Cameron. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so happy to be here with you too. I have been wanting to have a conversation about this very thing for a long time, and you are literally the perfect person to to talk about this stuff. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So before we get into it, uh, I would love for you to just like introduce yourself to everyone. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I am Cameron Glover. I'm a certified sex educator, a um, business coach for sex educators, and a podcaster as well. I host Sex Ed in Color, which is a show where I interview sexuality professionals of color and we just talk about our experiences in the field. So I do a lot and I'm really passionate about helping um, sex educators and sexuality professionals to monetize their expertise and build sustainable businesses in the field. I just feel really, really strongly about that. Um, yeah. And so I'm just really excited to be here um, because I love Evian. <laughs> And the conversation is really important too. So I'm just, I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm so happy you're here too. I mean, the question I get almost like twice a week is I want to be a sex educator. I want to do what you do, Evian. Like how Mm -hmm. do you get into it? And I was saying this in my Twitter thread. Like I think that people think that sex educators, sexuality professionals are, you know, we're doing this work and it's so easy and it's so fun and there's dildos and vibrators everywhere. And I think that depending on who you are and what your modality is, that may be true. But I know for me, my work is hard, it's mm-hmm. grueling, and it requires a lot of, um, it, it requires me to show up fully in my own sexual liberation and healing journey. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder just as I've been prattling on about this, if what you have to say about that. Ooh, okay. So um, for those listening, I'm about to shake the table like quite a lot. So shake <laughs> the table. I just like, first of all, like the thing I want to get off my chest is not everyone is a sex educator and that's perfectly fine. So I feel really, really strongly about like the specific, like the ownership of titles and like the things that we identify with, right? So I think that 
anybody that listens to Sex, Ed, and Color, I always start off each episode with the guest asking how they identify. And that's really important to me because I think that there's a real power in claiming identities um, for yourself and speaking from yourself, from your perspective, rather than someone else speaking for you, especially for people of color and more specifically for Black folks and Black femmes. So I think that connecting that to the work that we do, I feel so strongly, especially with online culture and like uh, social media about like the title sex educator, right? And like the specific ways that we talk about our work is so important and it's so varied. And what grinds my gears specifically is when folks just think that, oh, you talk about sex online, so you are a sex educator. And that's, mm. it's not only ridiculous, but it's also really, really dangerous because I fully believe that to be a sex educator, you have to have training. You have to have some sort of, you can't be speaking from your own experience solely, right? Because the things that may work for you may not work for everybody else. And there's also like, that's the thing that a lot of people also don't know about the field as well is that there's you can't just do things willy nilly. Like there's guidelines, there's like, you know, a a standard, right. Mm -hmm. Of doing this work because at the end of the day, it's work. So it's, I get really charged up. I don't like the word triggered, but I, I do get very charged by this idea that like just anybody can be a sex educator and all you need is just to be talking about your own experiences of sex online. Like you can, you can absolutely do that and there's validity in that, but the title of sex educator specifically, it it means something to call myself that. And like even further, right, to call myself a certified sex educator. And I had a colleague actually use um like the letters like uh C C E S like after my name, and I was like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> and that really like affirmed to me, like, this is real work that I'm doing, right? Like I earned the title to call myself a sex educator certified or not, because I put in the time and the effort and I I've done the work and I'm still doing the work. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really important that people understand the specificity of language and like not to put a label on someone just from what you think they are, but like leaving them space to like, claim titles that fit them and like respecting that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. One thing that you keep mentioning in this conversation right now is doing the work. And I feel like that is something that a lot of people say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but like, what does that even mean? You know? And so like, I'm curious from you, like what, what does doing the work mean? Because in my from my perspective anybody can read a book anybody can go to school anybody can um you know get those degrees certificates or whatever but i think what you're touching on here is more than that like it's more than just the certificates it's also about you doing your own internal work as well so yeah maybe maybe speak on that a little bit oh so much so i go way more in depth with this. I have a live stream on my Instagram about um, what you need to know if you want to become a certified sex educator that I recommend folks checking out. But yeah, I I don't necessarily believe that you have to... Well, I don't. (laughs) I do not believe that you need to be certified to be a sex educator. So the distinction for me is that you can get training, right, in modalities that exist outside of like the traditional academia system, which is very much rooted in racism and classism and all these oppressive systems that keep a lot of folks out. And again, what folks don't even know is that most certification programs that exist and I'll just speak specifically within the U.S. because that's where we're based, right? Is that mm-hmm. most um, certified, like most certification programs, they require you to have a bachelor's degree to even be considered to go through that process, right? So even from the jump, they're educators who have decades worth of knowledge because they've worked in retail. They've like done um, the coaching and the counseling with like their own like their own communities, right? But because they may not have gone to undergrad, they don't have a graduate degree of any kind, right? Like they don't have a bachelor's degree, then suddenly they're not worthy, right? And that's something I feel very strongly about. So when we talk about 
or when I talk about doing the work, for me, it it does go so much deeper than going to school because it's also like the work of sex education, when it comes down to it, it's about sexual wellness and healing, right? And what that looks like is doing that deep work with yourself, but also with other people. And you can read all the books in the world, right? And you can memorize the theory, but the best teacher is going to be experience. And Yes, you need to know the best practices of how to work with clients, right? How to teach about anatomy, how bodies work, how how things happen, right? But books aren't going to teach you everything. School is not going to teach you everything. And so to be a sex educator, I think that you really have to deeply understand like what is available and what the limitations of that training leaves, right? Because there's still so much that Um, gets unaddressed. And so many people that get left behind, even within sex education, um, and from, you know, we can, that's a whole separate conversation of talking about, you know, the mandates and the regulations, right? If folks are within schools, and even independent sex educators, too, like we have a whole host of like challenges that keep us from being able to give people accessible, inclusive sex education, right? Like not even talking about the criteria, but also like the fact that platforms like, like Instagram, like Facebook don't understand the validity of sexual education and that they just see sex bad. Therefore you are banned. Right. And what that means is like accessibility um, is now cut in half. Then people that are most impacted are the people that need it the most and the folks that are most vulnerable because they can't necessarily afford to like be in other places and diversify in different ways. So like, yeah, like there's, there's so much that goes into the work itself. And I really feel strongly about encouraging folks um, to like look beyond just getting certified. And I think actually like that's where a lot of like uh, emerging sexuality professionals get stuck because they only think about certification as a hurdle or like um, I'll get started with doing the work once I get certified or once I graduated. And Mm -hmm. that's completely backwards. The work does not start when you get certified. The work starts when you commit to doing the work period. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What I'm hearing you talk about is like having to find a balance between the certification, which is a really important step if you really want to get into this field and like be knowledgeable, to be um, accessible, to be inclusive, uh, to challenge the isms that are often within sexuality, sex, things like that. And then balancing that with the experience. Like you can't skew too far on one side. It's like, okay, I'm not going to do any certification. I'm just going to only rely on my personal experience or I'm just going to do certification. I'm not even really going to do my own inner work. I'm just going to do it by the book. How would you suggest someone go about finding that balance? Mm. That's a really good question. So, and I didn't touch on this as much, so I'll I'll touch on that as well. Like the doing the inner work part, for me specifically, the biggest thing um, that I see with that is like, that means challenging the ways that those like oppressive systems have been internalized in your own thinking and your own navigation of the world. So something that I see a lot as well um, is that a lot of sex educators are still actually upholding these systems of power and and privilege and oppression Mm -hmm. and don't want to talk on it. So like, you know, for example, like the constant uh, rooting of gender only existing within the the binary, like even now, even as we're recording, there's still so many educators and sexuality professionals that are like men and women, men and women, men and women. And I'm just like, (laughs) y'all. Right. We like get it together. Like gender is fluid, gender is expansive. Like, no. <laughs> this ain't right. it. or like very heterosexual focus. So like sex between a cis man, cis woman, and that's like the the epitome of mm-hmm. I don't know, sexual liberation or whatever. 
Everest. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy for me to talk about this because for me, like my brain, I mean, I still have, we, we live in a, in a culture that is within the binary. So the binary will never leave me, but within my own work, it's such a foreign concept for me to just think about like sex is sexuality that includes a man and a woman only. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. I don't even, I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm queer. <laughs> my partner's super queer. So I'm just yes. like, I don't like the other day I had to count like how many street friends I even still have at this point. I'm just like, I don't. Oh, that's a fun game. Maybe I should count how many street friends. I, I got to my brother and that was like it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe this person. No, wait. And I think that's what you're like the best example of what you're talking about is that you cannot rely on your experience because if you are identified as a cis woman and you only date cis men and you identify as straight and things like that, like your sexual education is going to be really limited. You're going mm-hmm. to be leaving out so many people who have way different expressions than you, way different curiosities than you do. And also like just speaking on like the the trauma factors, you know, of of being queer, of being not within the gender binary, of being like not monogamous and things like that. Like there's yeah. so many different facets and nuances to sexual education that I don't think that when people are like, oh my God, I want to be a sex educator. I, I don't think that people are really taking the time to think about that outside of themselves. Absolutely not. And it's so, sometimes I just want to be like, we can see you. Like I can, I see you. <laughs> Mm. you know and like even going deeper than that right of like the byproduct of this is because it's not just people are being left out right I wish it was just like oh like I didn't get picked to play on a playground right like it's much deeper than that it's like a systematic like oppression of folks and saying that you just don't matter so like when I see other educators who like have not done that internal work of like checking their own turfiness, right. Or checking their own, like, um, just ideas around sexuality only existing within heteronormativity. What that means is that you are now complacent in a system that is bent on the oppression of marginalized communities, period. Yeah, and that, and that is not okay. Because to me, like to be a sex educator, it's, first of all, it's not even about me. Like, let's just talk about that. (laughs) Like, to be a sex educator, you are giving people the tools that they need to make the most informed decisions that um, they can for their own lives. But as an educator, I fully trust that the clients that I work with and the people that I work with, they're, you know, they they know what is best for them because they are in their own bodies. They live their lives every single day. I can only speak from my experience and share the knowledge and the resources that I have. But at the end of the day, what looks like pleasure and sexual expansion and liberation for you may differ from what that looks like for me. So like, first of right. all, I can, I need to take myself and my personal feelings out of the equation if I'm going to be the best sex educator that I can be. Um, so that's first and foremost, right? Oh. And then there's also... <laughs> I'm just so glad that you're saying all of that. Anyway, continue. <laughs> like I said, I'm shaking the table. <laughs> and then there's also, right, the, um, and this is also the thing that is just like rooted in it, like the internalization of like white supremacy in our work. It is everywhere and it is exhausting and I'm tired. I'm so tired of it. And it's just like, it, it's so... I don't even think frustrating is even the word because at this point, like the things that like I have to deal with and like, I'm sure you can relate as well, just like being a black femme educator in this space, like we have to deal with all the censorship and all the shadow banning in addition to, you know what, I'm gonna just shake the table and speak on it. Like white people thinking that like our work is like on the community free for all table. Like Mm. the methodology and the work that we've spent years developing, right. And working with people that that methodology is not for you to cherry pick and take without accreditation because that's stealing. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you're saying this because this has been one of my, like one of the points of contention for me about doing this work is, you know, I've been in this game for like over a decade. Like I, Mm -hmm. I've been doing 
this sex education work before like we had this beautiful burst of visibility and community that we now have on platforms like Instagram. But before, like when I started, there was like no one really talking about this that looked like me. Mm -hmm. And so being able to create methodologies and facilitations, workshops and philosophies around my work literally from the ground up because I didn't have uh, anyone else to look up to. I didn't have any models to like work my way up off. Like it's such, it, it, grinds my gears whenever I see someone just swoop in, take all of this work that I have cultivated for years and years and years and say, well, I'm I'm just going to take that and Mm -hmm. I'm going to build my platform off of it. Like I understand why people do that because it's really easy. It's really quick. And they can see from my perspective that like it's working, but it's it's stealing and it's also such a disservice to the people that you want to help you know mm-hmm. like if you are the person who is doing this uh this theft uh it's you're you're not serving anyone else you're 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 a disservice to yourself yeah yeah and it just it's you know and i've heard like folks just being like oh but like if you don't know then like whatever or if it's a mistake and it's just like if i step on your foot like I still hurt you, right? Whether I did it intentionally or not, I still hurt you. So like the intent doesn't matter. Throw the intent out the window (laughs) of just like at the end of the day, like this is still part of like what keeps so many um, Black folks specifically um, in the field feeling discouraged and just feeling like, wow, again, like we don't matter because our work Mm -hmm. is kind of taken from us. Like folks are scared to like, I did a Q and A the other week and like, had a question about like what keeps you from like putting your offers out into the world or something like that. And somebody had commented, um, and I know this person like identifies as like a black femme and she was very straight up just like theft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like that hard balance too, because it's also like the, that fear, like even in my own work, I can't let that fear of like somebody's going to potentially steal my shit. I'm, it's probably going to happen. Like, and I don't even want to like speak that into existence as a possibility, but I just know the reality of like being a black femme online. And like, I've had my work plagiarized before, even before I got into the field. Right. So like, I know what that looks like and I know how to like navigate that and what I need to do for my personal safety. And at the same time, the need that other people need this. So like, fuck the violence that like, I'm experiencing. I hope I can curse. So, (laughs) so I mean, like the violence that I experienced, right, and all that. At the end of the day, it's not. It's part of the reality of like living the in this body and in this experience, and it sucks. And like, I have my own like support systems to help me go through that. But that also cannot stop me from doing this work because I'm meant to do this, um, and I'm going to keep doing it. So. Yeah, it's just like that hard balance to like find. And I think that honest, honest to goodness, like having community and having strong support systems has really helped me to do that and having very strong um, boundaries as well. I love boundaries. (laughs) So having all that and like very strong self-care practices as well um, really help to mitigate all that. So especially if there's like people of color that are listening to this right now and kind of feeling like, I don't know if there's room for me, if there's space for me, there is. And there's people that need you. Um, And at the same time, making sure you have all those things is going to help you go a very, very long way. Yeah. 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 I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, Mm -hmm. Uh, just in in the I mess, as I like to call it. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> short for iMessage. Um, yeah, we, we talk about this a lot, uh, how devastating it is to have our work be um, demeaned, to, ha- to have it be bastardized and um, taken out of context. Um, and I understand, I mean, one of the things that I hear a lot from people that are, you know, doing this kind of theft. I mean, it is what it is. It's theft. You know, the thing that they say is that like, you know, there are only so many things that like you could potentially 
own, you know, like we're all sort of in this same soup and we're taking from each other and we're all inspired. No, we're not. No, we're not. Each other. Yeah. Speak on that. Speak on that a little bit. No, we're not. So first of all, I just like, it it just makes me want to laugh because I'm like, y'all are so quick to take this, but like won't crack open a history book and know where even the field of sexuality like even stems from. It stems on the bodies of black and brown folks. Like, yep read a book, read, read some of my books. So actually recommendation, if folks are interested to learn more about that, highly recommend reading Killing the Black Body. I think that mm-hmm. it is very uh, important because it highlights specifically the reproductive justice movement and kind of like how a lot of things that we kind of know um, in the sexuality field are very much rooted in um, experimentation and exploitation of Black women specifically. Um, and also reproductive justice and introduction is a really good resource as well. Um, I would start there, but just like researching your history, learning about like folks like Margaret Sanger and just like (laughs) the the violence that she did, right. in eugenics and like how all these things are like interconnected and it's not, and they're being repeated today as well. Um, right. There's just like, there is no separation of like, racial justice and sexual liberation because they are interconnected. And so I just feel really, and that's the other thing too, (laughs) of just like going back to kind of like the work, right? And why being rooted in just academia is very limiting because the academia is not going to liberate us. (laughs) Like the ivory tower is not going to like save us, right? And so we have to, like this history is not something that is going to be given to you you have to like take it upon yourself to do the work. And like now as we're recording, right, there's so many resources now to like unpacking these systems and like why they're harmful. So like you need to take the initiative as an individual, not even if you just want to be in the field, but just like as a person in the world, like it is your duty to like do research and to like start learning about racism, start learning about anti-blackness and about ableism and um, transphobia and like gender violence and all these like oppressive systems that still interconnect because it's not just about like, I think there's also this focus in the field of just like, you know, it's about like the dildos and the orgasms and like, that's cool. Like we need, yes, we should talk about the orgasm gap, but we need to talk about the fact that like pleasure isn't even seen as a right for a lot of people because yes. like never seen two black people having enjoyable, pleasurable sex before, right? They've never mm. seen two folks from marginalized communities just like holding each other in an embrace and like having a sexual experience that was not revolving around like a penis and a vagina and like, I don't know, like a waterfall in the background or something (laughs) whatever the fuck um like there's just there's so much that we like we haven't even gotten here yet with like the visibility part so like we can't even fuck getting the sexual liberation we're still back here we still have basic conversations right about like why uh, there are folks in the field that are still committing acts of violence by saying that like you know my work is only for men and women. So mm, mm, mm. that's that on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you spitting all of that wisdom because I think that that is the piece that many folks who are considering getting into sexual education, sexuality education as a career, as a business, they're not thinking about. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why people are so enchanted by sex education is because I I believe that sex education and just sex as a whole is having a moment right now. Mm -hmm. I I think in particular, it's having a moment because a lot of what, at least what I'm seeing is a lot of people sort of saying the same things over and over in regards to sex toys, in regards to orgasm, masturbation, all of these things, which are all great. Like that's no shade. That stuff is part of the sexual education, but it's not all of it, you know? And it's really, really easy to say, I want to be a sex educator so I can help people have more orgasms. Like that's, that's, that's really easy to do. But like, I want more sex educators who are out there doing the decolonization of pleasure, doing the decolonization of gender, 
of like different ways to have sex. Like that shit is what is going to create lasting sexual liberation because dildos, orgasms, different ways to like, you know, penetrate yourself so that you can hit the G spot. That's not going to get us free. And that's the other thing too about like uh, going back to the language part, right? Of like some educators really feel very strongly about like everyone needs to start saying vulva, right? Or everyone needs to stop saying vagina and like demonizing people that like for whatever worth these for bits. Listen, you can call your bits flaming hot Cheetos for all I care. <laughs> like, because they're your bits. Like whatever words that you feel good to like talk about as long as I know what you're talking about and you know anatomically where things are in your body you can call it whatever you want but it's like I had this talk the other day of just like you know stemming from the debate about the g-spot and like should we even call it a g-spot and doesn't even exist and all this stuff and I'm like this is we're wasting energy because it doesn't yes. matter what people call it do people know why we need to talk about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, why is this important to talk about? What does this mean for um for sexual pleasure and how that connects to sexual wellness, right? That's the conversation I'm interested in calling. Like I could I really truly am not here to like say that people can only use certain words for certain things. Again, as long as you know where things are and I know what you're talking about so that I can help you. <laughs> you know, what you want to the the words that you use to empower yourself and to talk about your specific body and your specific experience, like that is individual. And like, that is up to each person what they want to do with, but that is not the hill I'm going to die on because it's not, that's not the work. And if yes. you think that's the work, maybe you need to pivot a little bit. <laughs> We're talking so much about, well, I don't feel like we're hitting directly on it, but I feel like it's sort of in the room, like the the sex educators who are doing the work and the sex educators that are all about the fluff and the fun stuff and not really actually getting to the root and the core and having their their values and their methodologies rooted in like upending you know, these roots of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we better know which one is which? Like, how can we discern the sex educators who are doing the work mm -hmm. and the sex educators that may just be like, you know what? I don't really want to get all into that stuff. Let's just talk about, you know, glass dildos and and stuff like that. Which like I I as I'm saying these things, like I I just want to be really really clear that I think that da glass dildos are great. I think that G-spot orgasms are great if that's a thing that you have experienced before. Like I don't want I don't necessarily want for folks to think that sex education is about the grime and the gruelingness and it's hard and it's heavy. Like we have to have fun and play to balance all of those things out. But I do think that there is a stark difference from people who are, you know, really involved in actual sexual liberation versus people that are just using those words, sexual liberation as clout, <laughs> as buzzwords. Very much so. Okay. So first of all, <laughs> I think that everybody should be doing their research. And this is me included. I'm dragging myself. I'm dragging myself when I say this. Do your do more research. Do even more research. And by this, I mean like asking those questions of like, where did you get this methodology from? How, how did you get in the field? Where have you like learned this process from? Right. And like, Yes, sometimes people will list like certification programs or like places and you can actually learn quite a bit about um, about someone depending on which program that they've graduated from, right? Um, because each program has their own reputation and their own set of like instructors. So you can like get a lot of information from that as well. If they have a website, are you reading their website, their about page, the testimonials, right? 
who have they worked with? Is there a pattern uh, of people that they've worked with, right? Who do they not work with? And what does that mean about their own, maybe their own internal biases, right? So like for me, I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't really speak on this like as directly as maybe I should, but like, I don't really enjoy working with men. I just find like the power dynamics with that to be I don't really care for it. So I work with folks of marginalized genders who are not men. And that's really just like my audience base, you know? And again, I'm just like, do I have any male friends? Yes, I do still. So, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, I think that there is a lot to be said both for like, like who do we as sex educators, who do we prefer to work with and who do we not as well? And if there's an, an audience or a demographic that we don't work with, is there a referral list or are there resources that they point to? Cause I think at the same time, it's okay for me to be like, you know, I don't work with, I don't work with private clients with men, but I have a list of educator friends that I keep in my back pocket. Right. Of like, if any time there is a man that's just like, Hey, are there any sex educators that I can work with? Yes, sir. I know like five off the top of my head, five to 10 folks that like specialize in working with men and like breaking down topics of masculinity, right? So I think that is very different from I don't work with black folks, point period blank, you know? And it's also, and so I would encourage folks to just like do that research, right? Spend time getting to know someone, look through their website, look through their posts. What exactly are they saying? Who are they referencing? Who are they sourcing? And um, who are they recommending you follow as well? Because I think that mm. another another thing with this, you can tell also a lot from like who folks recommend as well. There was there's one person I'm thinking of who is like a um, a sex coach, and you know her work was like super good until she um, posted about having someone who is an abuser in the community. Um, working with this individual. And so like that to me, like that says a lot too about like, wow, so you either know about this or you just like don't care. And like that shows so much about your values as well. So like you really want to make sure that it's not just about like, does this person, is this person knowledgeable? Do they know what they're talking about? Right. Do they have training to help me with this thing? But also like, where are their ethics? Where are their values? Are they fair with that? And like, do they align with your own? And I recommend that like across the board whenever you want to like work with someone or even just follow someone on Instagram too. Like, yes, is that deep? Because (laughs) there's so much information that we process all the time. And again, there are, there's so many wonderful, great educators out there. And there's also ones that like are very, very harmful. One of the things that's coming up for me as we're having this conversation is that it's really, really difficult sometimes to discern who is with it, as I like to say, and who isn't. Like I'm thinking of a certain indie sex toy store on the internet who shall go unnamed, but you know who I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. Um, They are notorious for posting photos of black bodies, posting photos of fat bodies, I guess I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is that even with all of that, like even with everything that you said, it's still very insidious. There are still people in this community who are harmful, who are taking advantage of people, who are ex- exploiting people and really using these buzzwords to create a facade that they are doing the work when actually they are perpetuating harm. And that also goes back to like having that community as well, because it's not just a, I think it's it shouldn't just be about having a community that like you uplift and like, you know, we all climb together and like, that's, that's great. Like I'm not saying that to mock it, but I do think it's also important to have a community that you can be like, Hey, I really trust and value your opinion. What do you know about so-and-so? Like, so if I get like, if I get reached out to by a company I've never heard of before or outreach from someone, you best believe I'm vetting them within my own like community as well. And I have folks that I talk to that I'm just like, listen, I know you have the mind of an elephant. Like, (laughs) are, Mm -hmm. is there anything I should know about? And best believe, lo and behold, sometimes like, sometimes it's nothing. And sometimes like, it is like, oh, you know, there was this instance of like, so-and-so and such and such did this thing. So I think that's also really important, especially if you're 
newer into the field, right? And you don't necessarily have that, um, it's not clout, but like you haven't been around the block long enough to like, you, you just weren't, you just weren't there when this happened, right? I think it's still important to know where you can kind of get that information. Cause that's also part of just like being a black femme in this world, right? Like I, I have to like check all my bases and like, yeah. I can't be out here looking stupid. Yeah. And, and I would argue too, that like, it's important to look for folks who don't quite fit your, uh, vision of what you think a successful, popular sex educator looks like, you know, I mean, I see a lot of, uh, white folks, white passing folks who are, you know, aesthetically pleasing and have the perfect bodies and, you know, fit within like Eurocentric beauty standards that are being put on a pedestal as being, you know, the best sex educators on the face of yeah. the earth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's like, I mean, I don't know anything about about them or or their qualifications so I can't speak to that but I do think that it's important for us to seek information and wisdom for folks who do not look like us and to really check our own biases when it comes to where we're getting that education where we're getting that inspiration I mean one of the things that I said in my in my Twitter feed was that some of the best sex educators that are in this world are the ones that you've never heard of and so yeah. this idea that uh, the best sex educator is the one that has over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or has written several books or has a bunch of letters after their name. I mean, some of the, the most incredible people that I know who teach me on a daily basis don't fit within that, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that that's another thing to, to consider as well. Absolutely. And the last point that I'll kind of make on this as well, like there are, I'm really glad that you brought up that point of learning from people that don't look like us as well, because I think that's definitely a luxury that like we can't afford to have, to be quite honest, especially in this field. And so like there are there are white folks in this field that I feel like I learned so much from that like helped me to get into spaces that I may not necessarily be able to get into. And I think that's also really important to know as well. Like who are the folks that are like also doing the work? Maybe they're not like loud about it, right? And like Maybe that's a good thing that they're not like shouting it from the rooftops. But like, who are the people that like, you know, hire us to do like um, influencer work, like consistently and pay on time and pay well, you know, like who are the people that are like centering us in their work specifically in their marketing, in hiring us, right? Like who are the folks that, you know, are doing the kind of like backend work as well that like is required um, for all of us to be in the space and to do this work. I think that's also really important to know as well. So just like be mindful of like who, both who you're following, but also like who's, who's moving in silence in the right direction as well. Mm, yes. And like shaking the table when they need to. Cause I'm also thinking about like instances like uh certain awards <laughs> show that um you know when certain people get nominated right like best believe like I took note of who was speaking up and saying something about that and who wasn't so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so I want to know who are some of your favorite sex educators like if someone were to like go off of this podcast and be like, all right, I'm going to follow these four, five people, or maybe just like a, a couple people. Mm-hmm. Um, who are, who are your faves? Okay. So first of all, you. Oh my God. <laughs> you make the list. No, I generally just like love the work that you do. And I love your approach you. to it. I feel like you really <laughs> fangirling right now. I feel like you really <laughs> like take the time to make this as um, I think I don't want to use the word accessible, but like you really take the time to like make everyone feel seen and heard and validated in this field. And I think that's really, really important, especially like a lot of educators kind of come from the theory aspect of things. And it's very easy to be very highbrow about that, but you don't do that. So yay. Thanks, sis. (laughs) I really appreciate that. I really do. Okay. Who else? Who else? Yeah. So (laughs) definitely uh, Melissa from Sex Positive Families. I I do not teach um, young people. I do not teach anyone under the age of 18, but I love the work that Melissa does because I think that they are fantastic and just like, just I'm consistently just like blown away by their brilliance. So like, Mm. yeah, definitely them. 
Goody Howard, um, for sure. I just, I love the work that she does as well. Um, Dr. Lex, I'm also thinking of Bianca Loriano. Um, and also like speaking of Bianca as well, like both individually and also the organization that she helped to co-found, um, Wakshan or the Women of Color Sexual Health Network is just fantastic. And like everyone in there continues to just like blow me away because they're all just like brilliant and wonderful and fantastic. Yeah. Um, literal geniuses. <laughs> yeah. There's just like, oh, there's so, so many people. <laughs> But yeah, those are the folks that are coming to mind definitely immediately. Amazing. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of overlap because those are some of my faves as well. I love Melissa. Um, and especially I love Melissa's work. I'm going to fangirl for a minute, but I love Melissa's work. And I would actually love to have them on the podcast. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. I, I just, I get this question a lot. Like, okay, sexual liberation is good and great for me, but like, how do I teach my kids? Like, mm-hmm. or how do I teach this next generation that's coming up? And, um, that's, I, I love, I love that conversation. And I wish that I had just like a fraction of what Melissa knows, um, to just like bring that to the table. And what I love too, like specifically about Melissa's work, cause of course there are educators who like specialize in talking to children. But what I love is that they also focus on like talking to parents as well. And they have a really great coaching um, program that you can check out on their website of like, if you're a parent or a caregiver of a young person, and like, you're kind of struggling with like, navigating the talk or like, speaking about different topics, they have like coaching sessions you can do with them to navigate that as well. So I think that's also really important. Yes. Okay. And so I guess like my final question. Well, actually, I have two questions. Two final <laughs> questions. Okay. Um, the first is, what do you think is one massive misconception that people have about sex education? Like people who see it from the outside, not really seeing like what's going on behind the scenes. So the thing that is immediately popping to mind is just like, there's only one way to do it, which mm. is definitely not true. And like, I feel really like, I feel so inspired because the work that I do, like, it's not a hundred percent in traditional sex ed, if there's even such a thing as traditional sex ed, right? Like the mix of sex education and business coaching that I do. And I feel like more times than not, I lean more on the business coach end of the spectrum, but it's just so important because I feel like everything gets kind of expanded in doing this work. And it like, it reaches all the senses. Like I'm able to like think in a more holistic way because of my background as a sex educator. And also like, I feel like I have a lot more empathy for folks and it just helps me so much in other aspects of my life, both as a, you know, as a podcaster and like as a business coach and in the business side of stuff, but also as like a human being, as an individual, I feel Mm. like I'm able to be more of myself in this field because sex education has kind of no blueprint. There's no kind of rule to say like, you have to like go to school for this many years and then like get a job. And like, it's all like one giant, like create your own adventure book, (laughs) which is kind of scary. Um, not going to lie. And a lot of people get very intimidated by that, but the beauty of it is that there's so much, even now, even still, there's still so much untapped, um, potential, And like things that have not been dug into. So I always, as a bonus, (laughs) something that I would encourage folks um, who are listening to kind of do is look to see where are the gaps, right? So where are the spaces between like what people are already talking about within sex ed, but also where do you see there being a natural like, oh, people aren't really talking about this or they're not talking about it in this specific way. And that's kind of how you fill in those gaps. And that's how you find your lane and figure out your niche and all that stuff in sex education. Well, that that's perfect segue into my last question, which is like, how, how can people get started? Like, you know, they, they've listened to this conversation. Um, they're ready to start doing the work. They're ready to begin 
doing the work from their own unique genius and really getting to the root and shaking the foundations of these isms that create the need for sex education in the first place. What do you think is a good place for folks to start if they are wanting to enter into the sexuality professional field? Mm, So definitely, first of all, the practical stuff, (laughs) because this is something I harp to on my clients all the time. Start building your email list and purchase your website. And your website can be just your name, your first and your last name.com and start building an email list. So start building that like social foundation, right? Even if you don't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur, you don't want to create your own business, right? These are still really important things to do because as your community grows, you want to um, not be reliant on spaces like Instagram or Facebook because of censorship and shadow banning. And like, I'm pretty sure there's just going to be a day where I just wake up and like all my stuff is just shut down and gone. So start building that early um, and having like a central hub where people can connect with you and like you can share different kinds of content. So definitely do that regardless of like how you want to get into the field. But the actual like doing the work part, um, again, find your community, like find people who are kind of doing what you want to do, follow them, interact with them, right? And also don't discount the fact that like you're new um, being equal to like you not having anything of value to share because everyone has something of value to share. So before you make that ask, um, and please do not park in someone's DMs and just being like, you know, can I pick your brain or like, Thank can you just you. tell me how to like <laughs> do this work? Please don't do that. Like follow Thank you. you. If they Thank have an email button that. on their profile, please email them. But yes. also give before you ask. So something that um, Dr. Jess, who I also really love and I think does really fantastic work in the field, she, um, in a workshop that I took with her, she like said this in passing and it really just like had such a massive impact on me. And it was just like asking people how you can help them. And it sounds so simple, but like if you, you know, if you interact with someone, especially someone that you quote unquote admire, right? Or you look up to or you just like, you, you get stars in your eyes when you see them or think about this person, right? Like ask how you can help them, right? Do you maybe have like, maybe you host like a YouTube channel or a podcast or like something and you're just like, hey, do you want to like come on and we can just have a conversation about this for like 15 minutes? Or is there like a resource you can share with that person? Like what can you give and how can you kind of like be of service before you even ask for something in return? And I think that's Mm. a really like valuable, just like way to think (laughs) in any field, but especially in our field, right? Because that also like starts breaking down these barriers of like everyone's competition when we're not. Like there's so much work still to be done that we don't have time to be worrying about like competition and like who's doing what and like whatever. Just like finding ways to be more collaborative than like competitive, I think is going to get us a lot further. So yeah, leading with value and just like, how can I be of service? How can I help you? And just like asking that before asking for anything for yourself. Uh, yeah, there's so, so much. I feel like, um, side note, you should have me back on to talk about the business of sex ed. <laughs> yes. Well, I was actually going to plug you and say, well, there's a third option. You can also <laughs> just hire Cameron because, uh, this is what she does. Like she helps people create businesses off of, you know, being a sex educator, being in the sexuality professional field. So, um, I mean, you could do all those things by yourself, but I mean, we got a whole ass genius who <laughs> is ready to, to like guide you by the hand and help you take these first steps of, of getting your, your business, your passion off the ground, which yeah. that's, that's what I love about you is that I get this question so much. People are always asking me, I want to do what you do, Evian. How do I do what you do? And I'm like, listen, I don't have the time nor the energy <laughs> to like talk to y'all about this process. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So I'm just going to send you to Cameron. <laughs> and I was going to say, I don't even have the time, which is why I wrote my ebook. So yeah, I have an ebook. Um, if you're curious about how you can like get started in the field and like more concrete action steps uh, beyond what we talked about here, you can um, go in the show notes and 
purchase that as well. Yes. I have a link to the show notes right now. You can scroll, click the link, and then you will be taken to how to get the ebook. Amazing. And I also have a free guide in the show notes as well for how to start building a successful sexuality business. So even if you're just getting started, if you've been in the field for a while, um, this guide is really just like the three most important foundational pieces that you need to like start building in kind of action steps on how to get started with them today. So you can download that as well. Beautiful. Um, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your wisdom. This was, this was really, really great. All right. So tell people where they can find you on the interwebs, all of that jazz. Yes. So you can connect with me at the Cameron Glover on Instagram and Cameron Glover underscore because reasons on Twitter. And if you want to follow um, the business side of what I do, you can connect with me at Successful Sex Ed at all platforms. Um, yeah, or go to SuccessfulSexEd.com. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. And like, I guess we'll just see each other in the eye mess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This podcast is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney. Find me on my website, evianwhitney.com, and on Instagram at evian.whitney to keep up with me and my work. The Sexually Liberated Woman is made possible with community support from each one of my very special patrons on Patreon. If you want to help sustain the sexually liberated woman, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple podcasts. It helps others find the show. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.